It's good to be with the people of God, worshiping the Lord and learning from his word. It's a good, good thing. And so thank you for being here. It's a sacred thing we're doing right now. I hope you realize that. Commanded from the Lord to not forsake the fellowship, the gathering of God's people. It's a sacred thing. God moves when we meet together. So I don't know about you, but even because of that alone, I'm excited. I'm excited for what the Lord has this morning. So let's go ahead and let's pray and start by Asking the Lord to bless our time. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Lord, like, like we just sang and like we prayed in the first service, Lord, we do want to see revival. We want to see that in our hearts individually, Lord, I pray that you would just revive some things that need to be brought back to life and that you would just instill in us this hunger, this, unsatis this unsatisfiable hunger for you, Lord, to know you and walk with you and worship you and, and just to be with you. So Lord, as, as we look to your word right now, I pray that the truth... <laughs> That the truth, man, that truth is powerful. <laughs> Lord, that the truth would resonate in our hearts and our minds and we would understand it. Lord, help us to do what your word says, not just to know it, but to actually live it out. So Holy Spirit, fill us up. Give us the strength, the ability to do that very thing. This time it's yours, Lord. Do with it as you please. Amen. Amen. That's a good start right there. I don't have to worry about anybody being asleep now. That's a blessing. That was actually a blessing. So, well, this morning what we're going to do is we are going to start going through um, a part of Matthew known as the Beatitudes. And um, in the ministry of Jesus, he was teaching, he was healing, he was doing all these miraculous things. And as he was doing that, naturally, people began to flock to Jesus. They were wanting to come and see what was going on and what was taking place. And, um, and so what we see happen is that as these crowds come, Jesus decides to go up on a mountainside and begin to teach his disciples. And they call this the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first chunk of it that we're starting with today in, in Matthew chapter 5 is the B attitude. So we're going to look at that. But Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 tells us this very thing. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, and they were coming, remember, because of everything that he'd been doing and saying, the miraculous was taking place, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So he goes up on this mountainside, has a seat, begins to teach them. This past week, I had the, the privilege to go to the Dominican, Dominican Republic and work with a ministry that's called Filter of Hope. And it's a ministry that, that provides clean drinking water and water filters to different communities around the world that really um, desperately need that. And um, we're, we're going to be partnering with them some more in, in Ecuador and some different things. But when we went down there, um, it's, it's a just beautiful ministry because literally these people, that some of the water that they're drinking makes them terribly sick and 
And when we give them these filters, I mean, you can literally put sewage through it and, it and it purifies it and makes it crystal clear and clean. And when you do that, it's amazing to see their facial expressions. Like you have this disgusting stuff and it comes out of this filter and it's, and it's perfectly clean and their eyes are just like, you know, boom, like, oh my goodness. I mean, it's miraculous. Literally for them, it's miraculous. And the thing that I love about that ministry too is that they're meeting the physical needs of people, but they understand that you can drink of that water and you'll continue to thirst, right? But it's that living water that Jesus says, you drink of me and you will thirst no more. And so they merge those two together and using that filter as a tool to illustrate the truth of the gospel, and sharing with them the living water and helping people just like us to see and understand that we are dirty water before the Lord. And there's nothing that we can do to cleanse ourselves and make ourselves clean. There's nothing we can do that it's only through Jesus that we're cleansed and made whole and experience forgiveness of sins. And so when that filter comes through, they would say that filter is like Jesus. Only he can cleanse you and make you clean and encourage them just to remember that truth of the gospel every time they get water. Great, great time. But the cool thing was when this water is, is made like that, like everybody's astonished and word began to spread, okay, about this. And I look up and there's people just around watching. I could not help but think of this very thing. Like if there are all these people watching us do this water filter, when Jesus is going around and doing crazy miracles, you know the crowds were crazy. You know they were flocking to see and to hear. And that's exactly where Jesus found himself as he began the Sermon on the Mount. The crowds are coming. He goes up to the mountain, but he begins to teach his disciples. And the, in, the, in this teaching, he begins to teach them in this very unique way. And I love the fact that in the very beginning of this message to the disciple, he starts by telling them how they can be blessed. He says blessed. That's the word that starts every one of the be attitudes. And I want to ask you a question. How many of you guys want to be blessed in here? Okay, you guys, much more of you want to be blessed than the people in the first service. So that's good. First service, I was kind of worried about them when I asked that. But... The cool thing is, is that every one of these things is how we can be blessed by the Lord. Now, to be blessed is ultimately, guys, to receive God's favor. There is no greater blessing that you can have than the favor of God. And we're going to learn from each of these different Beatitudes as we go one by one each week until we get through those. So this morning, look at verse 3 of chapter 5. That's the first Beatitude. It, said, it says, blessed, or if you like to sound cool, you can say blessed, right? Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it says that those who are poor in spirit, and when you think of this word poor, I'm not sure what you think about or where your mind goes, but this word for poor, it does have the idea of a, like a beggar, like a person that could use resources, like financial resources. When I think of a poor person, that's what I think. They, they don't have the resources they need to be able to meet the, the daily needs of life. But actually, it, it goes deeper than that. It's, it's a, it's a, and a picture of the desperation of their disposition. It's, it's beyond the physical, but into the spiritual. It's a disposition of their soul. It's a picture of them pleading in such a way that says, I am completely desperate for whatever it might be. 
And so, and the, and the way we know that even more so, it doesn't say just blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, it's a spiritual thing. There's a spiritual poverty. Um, and so what that honestly means in its simplest form is to be desperate, to be in a place of complete humility and dependence on Jesus. To be poor in spirit means you've reached the understanding and the place where you realize, I cannot do this on my own. Some of you may have been to an AA meeting before, or you've heard about AA, and um, you understand that when a person is struggling with addiction, uh, say to alcohol, at some point they get to a spot where they realize, I can't do this on my own. And it's at that moment in their desperation to be freed from that addiction, many of them will go to AA. But it takes them getting to that point so often where they realize, I need help. And then they go to AA and the first step of their process, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the first thing they learn when they get there is this. The first step says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. In other words, those in AA have reached this point of desperation. They're like, I, I can't do it on my own. My life is unmanageable because of this. I need help. In the same way, Jesus says that true kingdom-centered people reach a point in your life where you realize, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to be a good friend, to be a good husband, to be a good spouse, to be a, I mean, anything. But most importantly, when you recognize that you are in sin, you don't have the solution for that. You can't fix your sin problem on your own. You can try all you want, but the word of God is clear that apart from Christ, you are doomed. And so when you realize that, it brings you to this place of desperation where you realize, I need Jesus. Because the reality is, guys, apart from him in any area of our lives, it's hopeless. It's truly, truly hopeless. And so this person who is poor in spirit has this disposition of desperation. And you know, it says that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And the reason that they're blessed is because when you get to that point and you cry out to Jesus and you receive Jesus in your desperation, it's actually in that moment that you are filled, that you are full. But it comes from an emptiness of spirit that you can then be filled with the spirit. It's impossible to be full of yourself and full of the Lord. It takes this humility but I want to ask you guys a question because this is so important. Do you realize how desperately you need Jesus? Like we need Jesus desperately. And in the core of our heart and our soul, we should understand how desperately we need him because like I said, we are doomed. And you know, the, and, and especially when it comes to sin, we can't fix that problem. You can't overcome the consequences of sin apart from Jesus. But you know what else? Whatever situation you're facing in your life right now, it could be in your marriage, it could be with your children, it could be at work, it could be whatever. Guys, listen, you can try to do it on your own, but the answer is found when you stop trying to do more and start surrendering more and allowing the God of the universe, the Almighty, to come in and do what only He can do. So we sang in that first song, right? Help me find my own flame. And I love the lines. It says, do what only you can do. 
Because God can do what we simply can't. And you know, so much of this battle to trust and rely on the Lord, it comes down to a battle between humility and pride. Because when you're poor in spirit, you're not full of pride. But it's a humble heart. It's a humble attitude saying, I need you, Lord. I can't do this on my own. But the prideful spirit says, I can do this. I can handle this. I can make things right. And it's this battle between pride and humility because humility is dependence on God while pride is dependence on self. But blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their desperate need for the Lord. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, pride is what got Satan kicked out. Pride's what got Adam and Eve kicked out. Don't be kicked out, okay? Don't be prideful. God opposes the proud, the word says, and gives grace to the humble. So important that we have a spirit of humility, not of pride. If you're curious, if you're struggling with pride, you might be thinking, hopefully you're thinking to yourself, man, am I struggling with pride in some areas? There is a, a, a quote from William Law, and it's going to be on the screen, I like this. It says, there can be no surer proof of confirmed pride than a belief that one is sufficiently humble. Okay, so if you're thinking about your life, and you're like, I'm, I'm humble, I'm good to go, I'm not prideful, that might be a sign. Okay, just throwing that out there. There's also, you know, E.M. Bounds, great 19th century prayer warrior and writer. He, he said that one another way that you can tell if there's pride trying to creep in and, and your relationship with God comes down to prayer. Are you praying? Because if you're praying, what you're saying is you're recognizing your need for God. If you're not praying in your life, what you're saying is, I don't need you, God. I've got things on my own. I can handle this situation. I can take care of things. But a person that is poor in spirit and has a humble heart understands I need Jesus in everything. And so, Lord, you're the only one that can make things good in my life. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. The fact that I have breath in my lungs today is because of you. If I'm going to be a good father, it's going to be because I'm abiding in you and letting your spirit give me what I need. It's not found in myself. And so the poor in spirit, the humble heart comes before the Lord saying, I need you, while the prideful spirit says, I'm good to go. I've got it on my own. And here's the other thing when it comes to this idea of spiritual poverty. I know it sounds weird, like to think that you want to be spiritually poor, like all and like have this spiritual poverty. It's kind of a weird thing in our minds to get. But I will say this spiritual poverty is necessary for salvation. It's necessary for salvation. And what I mean by that is exactly what this is saying. Really, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they first come to a place where they realize they need Jesus, where they come to that place of desperation, where they're saying, please, God, I need you. Because in Hebrews 12, it says, without holiness, no one will see God. That's the standard that you have to to attain to, to be able to even see the Lord. And guess what? None of us fit that on our own. None of us are holy. In Romans 6, 23, it tells us the wages of sin is death. In Hebrews 12, it also says that because of our sins, we are unacceptable to God and under his wrath. That's actually in John 3, 36. And so when you understand the consequences of sin you realize how desperately you need Jesus. And hopefully you have found yourself in that place because the reality is we deserve death. 
The wages of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. And the Bible tells us very clearly that there is nothing in your strength, your ability that can solve that problem. You can come to church every Sunday. You can go to every Bible study that's offered on the planet. You can do whatever, but that doesn't save you. That doesn't do it. That doesn't make you cleansed of your sin and acceptable before God. It's only through Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. God, because he is good and he loves us, he told us very clearly multiple times through scripture that while, like for example, in Romans 5, he says, for while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. He has made a way. But I can tell you that way and that path is only through Jesus. It's not of your good works. But, our spiritual, but an attitude of spiritual pride will say, I, will, I can do enough that God will accept me. And it's a lie and it's a common misconception. When I was in the Dominican this last week, we were using, um, and we had these groups and we had translators. And we, I was with a group, this guy was sharing the gospel and, and talking about the Lord with, with the family. And I, I understand Spanish. I'm working on my speaking on it, but I understand it and I'm, I'm getting there, okay? But as this translator was speaking, I quickly realized she wasn't saying what this guy in my group was saying. She was saying something completely different. And I'm like, what is going on here? And so I kept listening and I realized she didn't know a lot of common words in the Bible. She didn't know the books of the Bible, where things were. Like It just became evident that she wasn't a believer. No problem. I think it's a huge opportunity for them to get to hear the gospel over and over as they're translating it for people. So I think that's a great thing. But then I realized it went even deeper because as... Um, my friend was sharing a common thing there and it's a common thing here we just articulate it differently is we feel like God will accept me into heaven because of the good things I do I do more good than bad I'm not like these other people over here I do good things and so we will share with them like you guys hopefully understand what it says in Ephesians 2 it says we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone it's not by works so that no one can boast and so when we would share that she wouldn't say it she would not say that it's not by work. She refused to. And I'm like, what is going on here? And so after we left that home, um, when we were in the street, I kind of pulled her to the side and I said, hey, I noticed that there's some words in the Bible and things that maybe you don't understand or aren't familiar with. And, and her eyes got really big because she's like, you understood what I was saying? And I'm like, ha, yes, I got you. That's good. <laughs> and so... But then I said, and how come, I'm just curious, I'm like, why is it when we're talking about, you know, how we are saved and it's not by works, you, you never will tell them that? And she said, well, it's because I don't believe that. She said, I do not believe that God would not accept someone if they do all these good things. She's like, if I just give my life to doing good works and going to church even and doing whatever, she's like, I cannot believe that God would say no to me. And I was like, well, listen, I know that's hard to understand, but the word of God is clear. They were only saved by Jesus. It's not of our own works. And you know what? So we had a great long conversation about that. Oh, but the other thing she said is, and she said, and I'm not gonna tell people that their good works won't save them. And so there's some major spiritual warfare going on there. But at the same time, guys, don't you fall into that lie. And honestly, what it comes down to is the spiritual pride. It's not, it's not the poor in spirit there. You're seeing the prideful in spirit that's saying, God, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. I don't need the gift of Jesus that you offer. And it's just an incredible example of a prideful heart 
not a not a the poor in spirit. And so let me ask you this, like think about this. How can we cultivate this spirit of poverty, this this humble heart that's desperate for the Lord where we say, I need you. Like, Lord, I need you in every area of my life. And there, there's several things I think we can do. And one of those is just serve more. Like, a hum, humility really comes in so many ways when you will lower yourself to serve other people and realize that the world doesn't revolve around you. Your world should revolve around Christ and loving others then. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, it says this, It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And his whole ministry in life was a demonstration, the perfect demonstration of humility, If there's anyone that could have said, it's all going to be about me, it would have been Jesus and it would have been justified. But he did the exact opposite. He said, my life is not going to be about me. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. Like that is the attitude. And so I want to encourage you, man, find ways to not make your life about you, but to serve because it takes humility. It takes humility in so many ways. And the other thing, I think this is a truism of life. Whatever you focus on, you drift that direction. Like you ever been driving and you're looking to the side and next thing you know, oh, the rumble strips on the road or whatever. Like we just naturally go where our eyes go. That's just a thing. And so guess what? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Make sure that you're focused on him, right? He's the author. We fix our eyes on him. He's the author, the perfecter of our faith. Make sure that your focus is Jesus. If you keep your eyes on the Lord, guys, you will naturally be drawn even more to him, number one, but then you will become more like him because we go the direction of where our hearts and our eyes are focused. So focus in on the Lord. And then I encourage you this, be gracious. The Lord has told us that we're to love one another as we have been loved. And God has given each of us incredible, overwhelming grace. Unmerited favor. What we absolutely do not deserve. It's at the heart of the gospel. What we deserve is death. We stand before a holy God, dirty, sinful people. And what we deserve is death, but God in his love extends and lavishes, he says, his grace upon us. Treat other people with that same sort of grace. And to do that, I'm telling you, it takes a heart of humility to extend grace when everything in you wants to do the opposite. I was on a flight um, yesterday on the way home and, and and like the stars were aligning for me. Okay, I get on this flight, I get to my seat, I'm by the window, I said, there's nobody sitting next to me. Great, great deal when you're flying. You understand this, right? So I pull out my iPad and I'm going through some of the notes for this morning and I get to this part about grace. I'm thinking about that. And then, and the door shut too. That's like the the sealer. When that plane door shuts, nobody else is getting on and I knew I was good, right? I'm like, yes. Well, I'm reading about grace and the flight attendant, she comes by and she's like, sir, are you traveling alone? And I was like, oh no, what does this mean? And... (laughs) Uh, and I, so I hesitantly, I said yes, and she said, well, there is a lady up front that is really scared in the seat she's in, and I was wondering if you would switch seats with her. And I thought, oh, no, because like, I just knew, I just knew I was going to be smashed between some people that hadn't bathed in two weeks in the middle seat, you know, and so everything in me is saying, no, 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 keep this seat. This is beautiful. You're just going through your, you know, but I was reading about grace, giving people what they don't deserve, and so I said, Sure. 
So I start walking to the front of the plane with the stewardess. We stopped short of first class, okay? I didn't get all the way up for a class. But the awesome thing, I got a row all by myself. It had extra leg room in that section. And she was a sweet, nice older lady from the South. And she's like, honey, what do you want to drink? I'll get you something to drink. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. Because right now with COVID, they don't even give drinks on the flight. And so um, I said, man, I love, when I, when I fly, I love to have Canada Dry Ginger Ale. It's like my favorite. I only drink it on planes when I'm flying. I just love that stuff. So I said, do you have ginger ale? She's like, oh, yes, honey, don't worry. So she smuggled me a ginger ale to my seat. And I was like, Lord, you are good. I will follow your ways all the time, you know. It doesn't always work out like that, though. I promise you, it doesn't always work out that, that way. But I will say this, though. To follow the Lord is good. His ways are good. You know, even if I'd have been smashed between the smelly people that, you know, hadn't showered in a week, it would have been the right good thing to do. But the Lord blessed. The Lord was blessing, and I was excited about that. Oh, mercy. Okay. Okay. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I will say this, guys, I, I share that story with you. I am no pillar of humility. I promise you right now. I struggle with pride so badly. Like, bad. I think about me constantly. Constantly. And it's a battle. Like, I don't share that story. I don't want you to get this wrong idea because it, it's, it's a battle every day. But I want to finish with this parable from Luke 18. It says this in verses 9 through 14. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This Pharisee, he comes before the Lord. He starts talking about all this great stuff he does, how he's doing all these things, fasting twice a week and giving a tenth of everything he has. But this tax collector, this sinner, he comes. And you remember what I said, what it means to be poor in spirit? It's just lowly, like I can't even look up at you. This desperation, he comes desperately and cries out saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that it was him who went away justified. Not the other, not the Pharisee who did all the right things, but it was that humble heart that said, Lord, I desperately need you because I realize I am messed up. I am a sinner. And guys, that's where we must find ourselves as well. I don't care how long you've walked with God, you need Jesus every day and need to come before him with that same humble heart. I struggle with that, but one thing I realize, like the more we mature in Christ, that's great. We should be growing and maturing, that process of sanctification taking place. But don't become more confident in yourself as you grow in the Lord. In fact, I would say it's probably the opposite for me. The more I grow in the Lord, the, real, the more I realize I can't trust me. I can only trust God and I need him. Actually, I believe more now than I did when I first met him. Guys, we always need Jesus. The gospel has to just transform our minds every day. I heard a pastor once say that the gospel is not a diving board, but a swimming pool that you are in, okay? Like, it's just we need Jesus every day. 
Cling to him. Have a, a heart of humbleness, not one of pride. The Christian life in many ways is opposite of the natural life if you think about it. When a child is born, they're completely dependent on their parents for everything. They can't do a thing on their own really. And then the goal is to, as they grow, to help them become more independent where they brush their own teeth, they can bathe themselves. That's a great season. Like all these things. And then you teach them as they get older to become independent and then they go, right? Well, unfortunately, we confuse that with how the spiritual life works. We shouldn't get to this place where we think the, the longer we walk with Christ, the more we grow in him, the less we need him. We become independent. No, it's the opposite. When you give your life to Christ and you're a new creation, you're born again, you will be dependent on the Lord each and every day of your life till the day you die. It's the opposite. And I feel like you'll realize that more and more, the, the mature, humble heart realizes the necessity for Jesus, that poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Two questions this morning and one challenge. Boom, boom, boom. Mixing it up today. Isn't that awesome? It's getting crazy. First question is this. Have you come to realize that you need Jesus? Have you come to realize that you need Jesus? Guys, if you don't know the Lord and you feel like you can just earn your way to right standing before the Lord, it's a lie from Satan. The only way to have forgiveness of sins and abundant and eternal life is through Jesus. The second question is this, do you have a heart of poverty or a heart of pride? And what I mean to that, with that is, do you live on a reliance on the Lord or a reliance on yourself? Some of you guys are in some situations this morning where you, you are, you're facing situations, circumstances, you're stuck in this rut, this cycle of, of just bad things, and you constantly think, I just got to try harder, got to work harder, got to do this. But guys, in your strength, you will not do it. It's when the power of the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you, that's when you will find victory. That's when you will see the Lord do what only He can do. But it doesn't come from working harder. It comes from greater surrender to the Lord and trusting Him. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you through those situations. And so that leads me to my last challenge for all of us, and that is to cry out to Jesus. To cry out to Jesus. You know, in Romans 10, 13, it says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When you have a, a, a spirit of poverty, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And you realize and you cry out to the Lord, guys, he will rescue you and he will save you. So if that's you this morning, I encourage you, cry out to the Lord. Tell him you need him. Begin to surrender and follow him. But... For the rest of us, if we know the Lord, there's always things that we should be crying out to Jesus for. Always. God, I need you to fill me. I need you to give me the strength for this. I need wisdom, God. I don't want to rely on my own wisdom. So for all of us this morning, my challenge and my encouragement for us as we go from here, just cry out to Jesus. Cry out to him and let him save you. Let him rescue you. Let him give you what only he can give you and do in your life. Amen? Amen. If you guys are able, would you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, we love you and, um, and the fact that we can even come before you and talk to you right now is, is crazy. And Lord, I thank you for your love 
and for the blessing in our lives, the ones we recognize and acknowledge, the ones that we don't. So I pray right now in the name of Jesus that, Lord, all of us would live in a, with a greater dependence on you, that we would stop trying to go through life in control, that we stop trying to handle things in our own wisdom, in our own strength, and our own ability, but, Lord, that we would just have that, that poor spirit, that desperate spirit that understands how much we need you. And the beauty of that, that you are the answer to everything, that you will provide, you will overcome, you will see us through things that we would never be able to on our own. It's when we empty ourselves of ourselves and fill ourselves with you, Lord, that our lives are the best, most abundant, that we see you do the miraculous and move and work like only you can. So, Lord, help us to rely on you and to depend on you and not ourselves. Lord, help us to walk in humility with our eyes focused on you. And, Lord, I thank you for your grace for the reality that there is zero, zero condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that you bring life, you bring freedom. And I praise you for that. So Lord, I pray that we cry out to you always, all the time. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, we wanna be blessed. We wanna be in your favor. So help us to walk with you, not in front of you. We love you, Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.